0: Good evening. I'm your host, GM Knappick. Tonight's performance contains a depiction of suicidal thoughts. If you're sensitive to that sort of thing, feel free to sit this one out. Before you go, remember that the basement window is going to be off for a while, but will return in February. In the meantime, a new installment of The Magicians of Paradise will be available on December 31st. There's a link in the description where you can read it, and support me on Patreon if you wish. For those of you who are sticking around, ladies, gentlemen, and variations thereupon, gather round the basement window. In the year 3450, It was very difficult to acquire a jetpack license. Andrew spent weeks taking the classes, waiting in places like the DMV and jetpack school parking lots, all to walk to the dealership like some kind of leg-having jerk. The boy who sold him his first and probably last jetpack was polite and helpful. He made absolutely no fuss when Andrew asked to be shown the high-altitude models, Part of him was tempted to drag out the sale, to pontificate, shop prices versus altitude versus thrust versus fuel efficiency, because the boy was quite nice, but there was no shopping to be done. So he left with the Unipass Mark III and a receipt. Compacted and hanging from his shoulders like a regular backpack, the weight of the Unipass rested on a bed of memories of long walks to and from school, the blur of monotony, of a memory kept due to repetition rather than emotion, bleeding into the present moment. One more walk amid a life of walking would be remembered as a single tile in a mediocre mosaic, if at all. Eventually, he found himself walking up Ed's driveway, Ed lived on a dead-end road surrounded by dense woods, a cornfield, and a cattle field. He had a concrete patio in his backyard. His parents had left him home for the first half of summer to go on vacation somewhere too bright and too loud for Ed. Could Andrew ask for a better friend than a borderline goblin-esque shut-in who would only go outside in dark shades and knew how to build a talking robot out of scrapped motherboards? and take out containers? Could anyone? Ed tended to talk more to himself than to the people around him, but Andrew found it more difficult than usual to tune him out. At the same time, Ed's words were hard to understand. The syllables fell apart in Andrew's brain, became meaningless sounds, broke down into the grunts and howls from which they were descended. All he knew was that Ed had started gutting his jetpack, removing and altering the sensors that would limit its altitude ceiling. Andrew went inside to find something to drink. There was nobody home. In only three days, Ed had made the place his own. It smelled like him in a way it never had. Not the way Ed's body smelled, but the sense of his hobbies. Something had been burning. Frozen pizza or chemicals or paper. Certainly not anything good. The scent of maple syrup hung in the air everywhere. Ed put it on everything, and he spilled it constantly. He made no effort to focus his eyes, to examine the space. He knew full well it was a mess. That was Ed's problem. When a hand touched his shoulder, Andrew followed his friend back outside to help with the hard work. He never did find anything to drink. In two weeks, Ed had fully disassembled and reverse-engineered the jetpack and built the rocket from what he learned, pulling parts from his father's next-generation flying car and a few from the previous-generation not-flying truck that had been filling up with overgrowth for the last decade. Andrew spent some of the time sleeping. Ed stayed awake. The morning of launch day was sunny but brisk. The grass around the concrete patio had been cleared away to avoid fire. Ed walked as gracefully as a drunk goose toward him, with a clipboard in one hand, the other twisting rhythmically at his side. Rocket's done, he said. I quadruple-checked every inch of this thing, ran the numbers on it twice, had two friends do the same, your suit's ready to go, oxygen's ready, things fueled up, But I've never built a rocket before, and we're not going to get away with launching a jerry-rigged spacecraft out of my backyard more than once. So no test flights. Andrew nodded solemnly. I've thought this through. I'm ready. Ed pulled a pen out of his hair and scribbled something on his clipboard. I know, I know, this is what you want, and I'm glad I got to build this crazy thing. If we had more time, I could make something a little less crapshooty. You wouldn't be able to test fly that either. Are we suiting up or what? Ed took a deep breath, shook his shoulders out, and nodded. Andrew took a step toward the rocket. The suit was stuffy, sweaty, unventilated. The visor went down, the hatch closed, the ship was dark for a moment, then lit up suddenly as several strings of Christmas lights came on. The only light source Ed had lying around. His voice came loud and clear through the small device jammed in Andrew's ear. You have manual control of your air supply. There's enough oxygen in the tank for an hour, but you should only need a fraction of that. I'm in control of everything else. Your suit will adjust pressurization according to altitude. I'll get you into orbit from my laptop and turn your lights green. You should be able to open the hatch up there and be fine as long as your oxygen is hooked up right, and I made sure it was. You'll orbit east until your timer runs out, land in the Atlantic Ocean, where the tracking dot will ping your location, and I will engage the authorities to come and get you. Ready? Andrew reveled for a moment in the muffled roar of the main engine, its might lost through his insulated spacesuit. I cannot possibly be ready, he said, but let's do this anyway. All right, all right. Launch in T minus 10. Adrenaline streamed into Andrew's blood. This must be what Spider-Man felt like before jumping off a building for the first time. Ironic. 9. Everything was vibrating. The pale white Christmas lights shook slightly with the engine, casting the small space in static. 8. His breath came in too rapidly. He tried to slow it down to no avail. 7. He remembered Ed's instructions, flipped a switch on the narrow control pad, and was supplied automatically with breathable air. He took it in freely. 6. He knew it was his nerves enhancing the engine's roar, but had never had luck convincing his brain it was being silly. 5. Andrew's fingers clutched the makeshift safety rails of their own accord, turning white at the knuckles as the third and fourth engines primed. Four. Rumbling as of the growl of a great beast became Andrew's whole world as he closed his eyes. His brain squirmed restlessly within his skull. Three, two, one. It was noise, noise, noise. A waterfall crashing against jagged stone, a car after car after car piling up against each other at Mach 10, dragged out, continuous, awesome, and terrible. The rocket tore through the atmosphere with the grace of a rattle shaken by an angry god. The bright Christmas lights zipped around, threatening to fly off their strings like a hailstorm at any moment. The cockpit was visually ablaze even as the air went cold. Andrew was pushed by the acceleration back into his seat. It was as though reality itself had come to its wit's end. It was motion, light, the thrill and horror of sitting in the lap of a firestorm, of riding a phoenix to heaven. It was noise, 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 noise. The whole world was once a writhing, seething creature of molten stone. Earth itself is debris, a spark, an ash escaping above the bonfire of the universe. It took billions of years for the earth to cool, for the fire of its youth to recede below its surface, for inertia and chance to drop water and an atmosphere from the depths of space. For plants to grow, to invent oxygen, to make chaos on the land. Millions more and it would host those arrogant primates who would crown themselves and their rock the center of the universe. The beneficiary of the only true gift to, in their haste to claim the earth, Forget how much of it formed independent of them. Cause and Effect. They build their quaint, brief empire on the calm surface of the primeval. They have forgotten who they are the first givers. Andrew's hand shook, slipped off the hatch several times as he struggled to get it open. Grave danger and wonder danced just out of reach, the gate to the last primordial space bathed in goofy green. The hatch opened slowly, silently, upon the little blue marble, he allowed himself to drift into the Ethereum with none of the pretense of safety. The moon, the stars, the sun, the cosmos, were small details, a stage upon which stood the sea, the Amazon, the Arctic, the White House, the Red Square. It was everything contrasted against the beyond. He supposed to himself, with a small laugh, that he could claim to see his house from here. His house, his town, his whole planet. But could he? Could he see his school, the community college his parents went to, to which they had forced him to apply? Could he distinguish between his nowhere town and everywhere? There were no streets, no borders, no easy separation between the empire of man and the wild. The Astonishing Wild. Where was the line even between the land and the ocean, between earth and space? With tears floating casually away from his face, with his fingers gripping his helmet, just hovering over the small, complex safety latch that maintained the barrier between his breath and the crushing void, Andrew searched for his home. He tried desperately to gaze into the eyes of the cruel world, to make it blink, and found no face at all. Just the world. Just life. In every form he knew of, and many, many ways he did not. The scratchy, staticky voice coming through his headset as Ed made contact almost went unnoticed in his trance. Andrew? Buddy? How is it up there? There was no pain on the face of the earth. The poetic death he had come for was a waste if it meant never seeing this again and never sharing it. No human in their arrogance deserved to see this. Maybe that's why we should. His hands fell slowly away from his helmet. Yeah, it's gorgeous up here. And when I get home, we're going to work on getting you up here too. Somehow. All right. Hi, I'm GM Napik. I'm the writer and producer of this show. I say producer. uh, Really, the writing is the hard part of this and the time-consuming part. What I'm getting at is I would really like to make this my job, but I need your help to do that. If you like this show and you want to help me make it better, if you want me to be able to make better episodes more often consider making a pledge at patreon.com slash the basement window. And in return, you can have access to the scripts I use to make this show and behind the scenes stuff. And if you would like me to consider adding extra behind the seats, editor's notes to those scripts, since you're getting them on Patreon anyway, send me a message on the anchor app. Have a nice day.